All right, quite simply, and these words are not an overstatement, it's the reality. One of the best racing days of the year on Saturday, capped off by a competitive running, 153rd running of the Belmont Stakes. So you know we're talking about here on the Winners Club podcast, Mike Manansky with you, Mutt, hanging out, talking about uh, just an awesome day, Breeders' Cup in June, as many people have called it, Belmont Stakes weekend. Uh, action gets to, uh, get really gets going on Thursday, which we're recording this podcast Thursday afternoon. you got a big slate of races on Friday, then Saturday when you have a Grade one race that comes up at 1247 in the afternoon. You barely had lunch, and you get the grade one Woody Stevens uh, from Belmont Park. The Belmont Stakes, the final leg of the traditional Triple Crown after a weird year last year, caps off the 2021 run. One of eight, eight grade one races coming up on Saturday at Belmont. Uh, It was admittedly tough to get excited for Pimlico and Preakness, and certainly my betting uh, backed that up because it stunk. Uh, it's a complete 180. I could not be more pumped up for this weekend. I've been staring at racing forms and PPs and replays now for going on a couple days, going back to last weekend, in fact. And hopefully I am uh, locked and loaded for what's going to be a deep and competitive uh, couple days of racing capped off by Belmont Day on Saturday. The eight grade one races, we're going to talk about them all today on the podcast. Uh, Myself, Matt Bernier, of course, of the In The Money Media Network, the Matt Bernier Show over on YouTube. NBC Sports Edge, Sports Edge, excuse me, where he picks hockey games. Also, my co-host Saturday down at Mohegan Sun's Big Belmont Stakes Party. That's free. So if you're in the area, come by and say hello. Uh, Dick Girardi joining us from uh, Bet Online. We'll take Dick's take uh, on the race. He's certainly uh, one of our more, cons- more consistent handicappers on this podcast. Uh, we'll do three or four stakes races and the Belmont with Dick. And we'll talk to our good friend Jessica Paquette from an airport, actually. You guys know her from Suffolk Downs and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, but on her way to Texas to call quarter horse racing all weekend at Sam Houston. So uh, make sure you check that out because she will do an awesome job. I will watch my first quarter horse races ever from Sam Houston and cheer on Jess uh, in the announcer's booth. Meanwhile, we weren't that close in the Preakness. We already talked about that. Ron Bauer, he wins. I was not close, as you'll hear uh, with Matt and Dick and Jess. Uh, I was wrong. The horse won. I had no interest. Uh, and look, in a Belmont field that is short on numbers, very competitive on talent. Look, first time in a long time. No runners in the field that ran both in the Derby and the Preakness. But you have essential quality in here. The 2-1 to favorite, many handicappers think, ran the best race in the Derby. The aforementioned Ron Bauer, who upset the Preakness, he's back in here. You have Todd Pletcher with three. You've got two West Coast Invaders in Rocky World. And my Derby pick, Hot Rod Charlie, who I may go back to here in the Belmont Stakes here. A very fun field, competitive field. What it uh, lacks in numbers makes up for in quality. So, are we going to try to beat the favor or are we going to try to stick with the central quality at 2-1 to one in the Belmont Stakes? Let's break it down. Belmont 153 on the Winners Club Podcast. And as we wrap up the uh, final race of this Triple Crown Series, a normal Triple Crown Series, that's Belmont, that's a mile and a half, that's uh, on Saturday, just an awesome, awesome race card. Our buddy Matt Bernier, the Matt Bernier Show, in the money media, NBC Sports Edge, he's watching all the Bruins games, he's handicapping horse races, he's a busy man, and you got to carry me Saturday at Mohegan Sun for the big Belmont party, buddy. We really can't do much worse than we did for the Preakness, right? I mean, we, we kind of set the bar. We set the bar a little low. I think we'll be able to make up some ground here on, on Saturday. It's a great day of racing, as you were alluding to, and uh, 
You know, the Belmont itself, it may not be a giant field, but I think it's a pretty competitive race. And they've done, uh, we and I have talked about this both on the podcast and and on uh, off the air, like the what they've done here with this weekend, starting today with the Intercontinental, we're recording on Thursday afternoon. Uh, you got the big stakes races on Friday and then eight grade ones and a grade two on Saturday. It really is a Breeders' Cup in June, and it it ends up now. It's I think it's my probably still my my third favorite weekend. It's probably Breeders' Cup. It's probably Travers Weekend with those races, and this one is a, a clear cut third based on the quality of of horses they got to get to New York this weekend. Yeah, for me, it's number two. The only one that's ahead of it is Breeders' Cup Weekend, and I can understand anybody that wants to put the Travers up there or Derby Weekend for that matter, but. To your point, just because the quality of racing, I think, is unparalleled on this Saturday. It's just, I think it's a perfect scenario where you get the best of the best. And maybe it's a little preview of what's to come over the second half of the season. I hope so. Uh, You mentioned the Preakness. I was not close on Ron Bauer. And even coming out of the race, I know he's back in here at 3-1. to I don't have a huge affection for for betting this horse back at that price. I mean, did you see anything looking back at the race of the format before we look at the Belmont and the, the late pick four here on Saturday? Anything you wish you had seen with Ron Bauer? Because I, I still look at his PPs and go, nope, I could not have that horse if you if you gave me another two hours to handicap the race. No, and, and I mean, I think we acknowledge that the horse, he had some ability, but I didn't see that race coming. And I think that's one of the things that you should do as a, as a horse player. Admit when, you know what, sometimes you're going to be right and going to be wrong other times. And there was just no way I was going to have Ron Bauer in that spot. Yes, he may have had a little bit of a pace situation that worked to his advantage. But at the same time, I don't want to take anything away from him. I thought he ran a giant race that day. And the question now for he on Saturday is, can he back that effort up at a mile and a half on just three weeks notice, knowing that that race in Baltimore was far and away the fastest he'd ever run. Yeah. And that's, what's interesting. And he's going to be, you know, either the, the second, you know, clear cut second choice, I think, uh, behind essential quality, the number two feels like, at least on paper, at the betting windows will be your favorite in this race. And uh, ironically, he was trained by Brad Cox, his other horse, Mandelown, is likely going to be named the Derby winner here in the next couple of days or weeks based on the Bob Baffert news that we found out on Wednesday. So uh, you may not have hit the Preakness, but you were all over the Derby. And I think he's a very deserving favorite, the number two essential quality. He's run fast enough races. He comes in having trained well. Uh, the distance should not be an issue. Uh, sometimes there are favorites that you go out of your way to beat. I'm not sure I feel that way because at least on paper, essential quality looks like a very tough customer, even at 2-1 to one on Saturday. Yeah, I think he's very clearly the horse to beat. At the same time, I, I think this group of, of five horses who I'm kind of that's how I'm breaking this race up. You've got five contenders and three who just look like they're a little bit overmatched at this point in their career. The central quality, I think, is the most likely winner. It feels like this has been the race that Brad Cox has thought has been best suited for this horse all along. At a mile and a half, he's got that sort of grindy, long-winded running style. Um, I just don't know that I think he's so head and shoulders above everyone else or the other four horses that I'm viewing as contenders. I, I think he's the most likely winner. I'll have him on all tickets. But from a win standpoint, if we're just talking about it from a value proposition, I don't know that I, I think he deserves to be seven or eight to five in this race. I made him four to one. I know he's never going to be close to that, but I, I think you do have to acknowledge that he's going to be doing something he's never done before. And do you really want to settle on, on a horse that's going to be almost approaching odds on territory? I, I don't know that I need to do that. All right. So you mentioned it. that's the exercise we've done and we did not have Ron Bauer as a win candidate. So we're one for two. 
uh, in this uh, Triple Crown season so far. But I assume, like you said, essential quality is a legit win candidate. Ron Bauer, the three at three to one. Hot Rod Charlie, the four at seven to two. Uh, I'm going to guess from there the six known agenda at six to one and the seven rock your world at nine to two. Are those your five potential win candidates in the Belmont? Yeah, and and to be honest with you, when I went through and priced out the race, I have all five of them between four to one and five to one. Wow. So for me, this is why I've seen so many people, and, and I understand the logic that well, it's a shorter field, and you know maybe it's not a great betting race. I kind of look at it the other way and say I think you have five very evenly matched horses, and at least one or two of them is going to slip through the cracks. Maybe not going out to a ten or fifteen to one chance, but they're going to offer a price that is going to be an overlay, and I think you can take advantage of it. Again, if you, if you believe the way that I believe, that this is a pretty evenly matched group, if you think that a horse like Essential Quality is just a standout, or you think Rock Your World is just going to wire the field, then I'm not really going to argue with you on either of those points, but maybe you would look at it and say, you know what, they deserve to be a little bit shorter. I think these five, you throw them up, they can land any number of ways. And accordingly, I just want to shop around for a little bit of a a better number. Uh, So you're looking for a better number. Let's go to the four, Hot Rod Charlie. I picked him in the Derby. I thought he ran a respectable race there. I had a little bit of traffic trouble, just could not go by late. Nobody was going to go by Medina Spirit, but he fought to the end. He goes back to California for Doug O'Neill, apparently training well. Flavian Pratt, this is interesting. Flavian Pratt was on Ron Bauer in the Preakness. He gets off the Preakness winner to get back on this horse. He's versatile. He's got some back class. Uh, your thoughts on Hot Rod Charlie the Four? You know, I, I think he he's one of the five. He makes plenty of sense. He's one of the two that I pegged at five to one as opposed to four to one. He's playing those at that point. But I, the thing for me that's most interesting about Hot Rod Charlie, I think, is the running style. Yeah. I, I'm not going to be surprised at all. If Flavian Pratt is aggressive out of the gate, and maybe maybe there's a little bit more pace than maybe I initially had thought going into this race, whether it comes from Hot Rod Charlie, if France Godina was lit up like a Christmas tree down there in Baltimore a few weeks ago, I don't <laughs> think he can help but go. Yep. And then obviously you have Rock Your World on the far outside. So maybe this pace is a little bit more energetic early on than I had envisioned. And if that's the case, Maybe it helps those horses that are going to be just slightly off of it, whether it's essential quality or a horse like Ron Bauer or known agenda. But Hot Rod Charlie, I guess of the horses coming from the Derby, I felt like he kind of had the perfect trip and it still wasn't enough for him to get over the top. And I, I just can't help but think you're going to get a better trip, you would think, for essential quality this time around. On the square, I think essential quality is a better racehorse than Hot Rod Charlie. Uh, accordingly, I've kind of dropped him to that sort of second tier as sort of a, a B or a C in, in multi-race bets. Right, well, I'm going to cycle back to the, the best price, at least on paper, of, of the five horses you talked about. Let's go to the next to the seven, Rockier World, who, like you said, speed to the speed, did not get out well. Joel Rosario, his boot was out of the, the, the boot, uh, the stirrup right out of the gate there. Uh, he got bumped, and his race was over. He's 4-1 to one on Derby Day. Everyone that I follow seems to think that he is a turf horse. He's going to be a part of the pace here. Of the five horses that are your win contenders, Matt, he is the least interesting to me. Is Rock Your World, especially anywhere near nine to two or four to one? I mean, he may go to the front, but I don't think he's getting the mile and a half going wire to wire here. See, you know, and that's interesting. You're you're not the first person I've heard say that about the distance piece. I think he actually may be one of the more well-bred horses for the mile and a half. And from a running style standpoint, I think he fits the race to a T. If, I guess my my curiosity is, and this is just sort of an open ended question, for for folks who are willing to bet him at nine to two in the Derby, why wouldn't you bet him at four to one 
in the Belmont, unless you really didn't think he'd be able to get the distance, I think, you know, you draw a line through the Louisville effort simply because he was absolutely destroyed out of the gate. But I don't know. I mean, the the form is that Santa Anita Derby is holding up quite well. and He put the boots to that field. I I don't know. I'm not going to be surprised at all. Put it this way. If someone wins by open length, I think it's this horse. See, it's funny because I, I did like him as a speed, and you mentioned France Do- Godiana, the 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 the, tra- the transfer, the the international coming in here. Uh, I think there's just potentially uh, more of a speed battle here. We try I like the versatility of Hot Rod Charlie, who's won on the lead. He's also won from off the pace, and I just don't know if Rock Your World uh, can win from off the pace. He's going to have to go, and it could be a little contentious up front, um, depending on what happens to other horses. One horse that I do not think will be part of the opening uh, salvo we're heading into that first turn will be known agenda who I had no interest in, in the Derby because of the post position, but it's Todd Pletcher. It's the Belmont. Um, he's going to get a much better setup in this race. Uh, and, and to me uh, of the, the win contenders, I find myself at least looking at him more and more, if not to win, certainly uh, to be part of the trifecta. You're going to draw a line through known agendas, Kentucky Derby. And what kind of shot do you give him? six to one morning line for Todd and Irad in the Belmont. Well, as someone who likes this horse and is going to hopefully bet this horse and pick him to win the race, I I hope the way that you've laid out the pace scenario, and and I'm at least open to the idea of the pace scenario playing out, I hope that's how it goes. I think you do get two or three of those that could potentially line up. And you're right, Known Agenda is not one of those horses who's going to be prominent early. He just doesn't have that kind of early speed. But this is a horse that when you watch him run, it feels like he'll run all day. Todd Pletcher, we don't need to go into the details. We know that he is as good as anyone at getting a horse ready to win the Belmont Stakes. And to your point, I think you're supposed to just entirely excuse the Kentucky Derby. I don't, really don't think it was a terrible effort in the grand scheme of things, but the moment he drew the one hole, he I don't think he had any chance at that point because he's not that sort of horse who's handy enough to go out there and establish that early position up front, and you certainly don't want to be coming from dead last in a race like the Derby. So, I think everything is going to work to this horse's advantage. The critical aspect to me for this runner is Errat Ortiz Jr. and needing to have him within two lengths with a half mile to go. You need to be within shouting distance when the real running starts because I just don't think you're going to be able to rally from well off of it. I would say at worst, the way that you won with Sir Winston a few years ago, I think that's at worst, the way that this horse has to run on Saturday, getting that engine warmed up and getting within striking range with about a half mile to go. Well, it doesn't hurt when, as Sir Winston did a couple of years ago, just hang on the rail and make that one run. And I think no agenda could get a similar run. Uh, the price is not going to be quite as good. I do think there's some buzz unknown agenda, but I'm curious, Matt, you laid out the five horses. You had them sort of close as you looked at your own morning line, the way you built it out. Is known agenda the pick for you on top because you think it'll be the best price of the four or five horses you like? Or is there something from a horse standpoint, pace standpoint, race standpoint that puts them above and beyond the other four? Well, it's a combination of the two. I do think I'm going to get the price that I want. I made him four to one. I could see him going off somewhere in that four to one or nine to two range. Um, We've brought up the connection aspect of it where this is an outfit that knows how to win a race like the Belmont Stakes. The Florida Derby, no, he didn't beat anything that day. But he still looked like a bit of a work in progress where he was still putting things together. Keep in mind that was only the second time he'd ever worn blinkers. I think that Kentucky Derby, although it was a bit of a a pinball situation for him down the the front side the first time, I I think he probably gained something out of that from an experience standpoint. And while, you know, we'll talk about him momentarily in the Met Mile, I may not be a huge Dr. Post fan, 
But Dr. Post is a good older horse, and he has run fast races in the past. And in the most recent workout, known agenda more than held his own. You could even make the argument outwork Dr. Post uh, in that most recent work. So I think known agenda is coming up to his best race. The question is, is his best good enough to run with essential quality or someone else? Uh, we'll find out, but I think I'm going to get the price that I need to find out. I uh, feel like known agenda uh, as your winner of the Belmont Stakes, 153rd running. He should be a pretty decent price amidst, uh, like you said, a, a pretty good field. The, the 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 other three horses we didn't mention, Todd Pletcher's got two of them, Verbonic on the rail, overtook on the outside and the import, uh, Fransco, Diana. Uh, of those three, I, I, I guess Verbonic, but I, I'm going to be comfortable not really using any of those three in my top three, anyone can round out the super, but any one of those three stand out as a price you want people to use in the bottom of a trifecta tickets on, on Saturday, Matt? No, I'm approaching it very much the same way you are. Uh, of the three, I suppose overtook does intrigue me a little bit. I've, I've long thought there is something there. I still think he's a work in progress and needs, I mean, who knows, maybe the blinkers will really wake him up. But um, I'm kind of with you. I, I don't know that I'm, I'm sitting here trying to make a, a serious case for any one of these three horses to actually come in with an upset chance. Maybe they can run third or fourth, but I feel like that's the ceiling. Yeah, it'll be interesting. We've seen plenty of horses that uh, have been big prices. they able to get up Andromeda's Hero back in the day, Nolan's Cat on Belmont Day, these horses that seem hopeless, but the distance suits them out. We'll see if Todd Pletcher gets one of those. Uh, you'll be on uh, Todd Pletcher's other horse, Note Agenda, 6-1 to one, on the morning line. And as Matt said, he thinks there are four or five that are win candidates, Note Agenda, maybe the best price in the connections, a factor for him uh, in Belmont 153. Let's work backwards here in the late pick four, which is just a, an awesome card in general. Uh, the 10th race, the Manhattan. Uh, it's hard to separate, to me, Six different horses in this race. Chad Brown's got himself a good hand here. Uh, Christoph Clements won this race three times. He's got a heavy hand. Uh, you know, Glare Motion has beat me multiple times with impossible horses in this race. He's got another 20 to 1, 30 to 1 shot in here. Uh, it's the leading, it's the Belmont uh, double here late, race 10 11. What do you want to do here on the turf? They go a mile and a quarter. Uh, and it should be a, a really, at least on paper, tough to separate the top six for me. You know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we just had a carbon copy of the Turf Classic where you had domestic yep. spending and Colonel Liam right there on the wire. Um, of the two, I have a, a funny feeling domestic spending we still actually haven't seen his best. Colonel Liam can certainly win this race. I'm not against him. I wouldn't be telling anyone not to use him. Um, but of those two, I would lean more toward domestic spending. But the horse that I, I'm having a hard time, and I, I need your help to either talk me off the, you know, the, the ledge or what, what do you do with the number eight horse, Tribuvan, who, if, if I told you going into a grade one race in New York on grass, Chad Brown trains the horse with the highest last out by speed figure who will get the jump on all the deep closers and you might get 10 to one on them. It, it, it would seem like a pipe dream. And I think that's actually the scenario. I think that's what we're going to get with this horse. And I, I do wonder, I, you know, occasionally the reporting is a little bit suspect, but this horse is listed as a new gelding at the end of January. Hmm. So I don't know that that 105 buyer is totally out of left field. I know some people are, are approaching it saying a little bit too good to be true. I think I'm going to be gambling on this horse because I, I wouldn't be stunned. I, I don't know if it's likely, but I don't, I don't think I'd be stunned if he ended up pulling off some sort of a shocker. Here. Yeah, I mean, he's part of the group, and that's why, to me, if you're willing to go outside of that race uh, on Derby Day, 
There's a whole bunch of them. I mean, uh, Gufo for Christoph Klamath's going to get a better setup uh, than he had last time, in my opinion. I mean, domestic spending, who's got that great turn of foot you talked about him on Derby Day. Masterpiece for Chad Brown. Apparently, you know, going back to last summer, your buddy Jonathan Kitchens talked about this being one of Chad Brown's favorites. Chad Rock Emperor, uh, another one. Like, they're, they're just, they look very similar to me. And like you wanted to do in the price shopping, I may do the same thing, and, and I never really liked Gufo. I, I was a uh, decorated invader guy as a three-year-old a year ago, but uh, I thought a second off the layoff for Clement and Rosario, he was finally going to get some of that pace you talked about up front, and if anyone was going to upset one of the two favorites in Colonel Liam or domestic spending, I thought Gufo second off that layoff had a good look, but I can't talk you off a Chad Brown horse at 8-1 to one on Belmont. All he does is win this race, Matt. He shows up year after year and wins this race either with a short price or a long price. These are the Chad Brown races. They write these races for Chad. I also I think the thing that continues to stick with me about this horse specifically as well is that I think many people are looking at him saying, well, he's not going to be able to get the lead the way that he did in the Fort Marcy. I don't think he needs the lead to be effective. I mean, this is a horse who has won from off of it here in the United States already. Again, maybe maybe he is nothing more than a horse in there to ensure that there's space for the big boys to run at. Uh, but guess what? At 10 to 1 or 8 to 1, I want to find out if he's actually legit. And, and that's probably where I'm going to go. So I'll, I'll put him on top, acknowledging that domestic spending and Colonel Liam, they're 1A and 1B, but... Uh, I'll go with the eight triple on in here. I'm going to use a bunch here. This is a master spread race for me. There's some races you can be narrow in the late pick four and pick five. I'm going to spread here, and I know for sure Goofo will be an A. I will point this out. We're talking Thursday, so you'll know Saturday. Uh, what the plan is here, but Tribovon, he's actually cross-entered uh, in Man- the Manhattan and at Monmouth on Saturday. Chad Brown said this morning, according to Daily Racing Forum, he's 80% likely to race at Belmont, so I expect he'll show up in the form for us as we're at Mohegan Sun talking about this race, but just note, uh, he could scratch out, Matt. Your big Chad Brown horse might end up racing at Monmouth on Saturday. Well, and so now there's the thing. I mean, if he goes to Monmouth, he's going to be three to five. I guess if you want to look at it and say, if Chad doesn't know if he's even in the top three or four of the horses that he would run at Belmont, maybe they end up going and taking the easy money. But, I, well, let's put it that way. I'll go with Tribavon. Should he run? If he doesn't, I'll go with domestic spending. Yeah, domestic spending's got a monster's turn of foot. Chad's got a big hand here, and I'm going to play. I'm using I use the Chad's as A's for sure. In a big spread race for me, Gufo on top. Anywhere near that 5-1 to one morning line, I'll take a shot with Christophe Clement because uh, he's got another horse inside who's probably going to the front and should set up for Gufo. We'll find out Saturday before the Belmont. All right, race number nine. It's the Met Mile, the grade one, the Hillendale. One of my favorite races of the year. And again, a short field uh, with at least a standout on paper, but a good field. And the first of many Matt Bernier uh, house horses running in this race on Saturday. <laughs> by my standards, number five, he is 10 to one. Just explain why you're betting by my standards on Saturday. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you, you didn't even, we didn't even have to ask. You knew where I was going to go. <laughs> uh, look, it's, it's one of those things where Nick's go, if he makes the front, he's probably going to win. Um, but I did find it interesting that, you know, the initial plan was to run at Lone Star Park in the Sexton Mile or whichever race it is down there yep. for $400,000. And maybe they just looked at it and said it was easy money. So be it. A one-turn race is considerably different than a two-turn race. And we saw the only time he's gone one turn, granted it was against Charlatan and it was over in Saudi Arabia. It wasn't the performance from Nick's go that we've seen in the past three or four runs. So, you know, at a short price, I think he's the most likely winner. I'm going to use him in the pick five and the pick six, but um, I, I just have to give by my standards a chance in here. If he's going to be 
He's going to be six or seven to one, I think, when you consider the other horses that are in this race. And I think his recent form is very dirty. Um, leading into the Breeders' Cup Classic, he won the Ali Sheba at Churchill at the beginning of September. And I noted, and I know some people said, oh, well, you know, a lot of it had to do with the pace situation. He swapped leads two different times down the lane. And for a horse who has been like clockwork, the absolute professional of all professionals throughout his career, for him to do that, it at least set off a little bit of an alarm in my head. The Breeders' Cup Classic, frankly, was overmatched. Probably wasn't that good, but he didn't run well at all. And then he came back and laid an egg in the Clark. They gave him time. He came back in that Oakland mile. Yes, it's a two-turn race compared to the one-turn mile on Saturday, but there was no pace signed on that day. Mm-hmm. He rallied widest and ran down. Yeah, all right, Rushy's not a superstar, but he's a really nice horse. He came back and earned, I think, a 95 or a 99 in the Hollywood Gold Cup the other day. I just look at it and say, at, at a price, I don't think he's way out of this thing. I, I just hope Gabe Sias can keep him reasonably close. I'll bet the horse at six to one or better. I'll go by my standards. Of course you do. Well, I, I, it was the easy. Well, <laughs> there's, there's another one earlier on. Well, it's not part of our conversation today, but uh, there's another house horse for Bernie, who I know he's probably going to pick as well. Uh, <laughs> Nick's go. Nick's go on paper. If he runs one of the races, but the Saudi race was bad. Any of the four races prior to that, the Pegasus, the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, and the two optional races once uh, you know Brad Cox took over the training of this horse from Ben Colebrook, he is going to win. And I do think he gets to the front. I mean, what I, I hate touting uh, a 6-5 to five shot in the Met Mile. I love this race. Matoli a couple of years ago uh, was my favorite runnings of this race ever. But, I mean, who, who's going with Nick's go out of the gate? I mean, is I read Ortiz is not a guy who wants to gun horses from the rail, even from the rail. I think they'll probably sit off with mischievous Alex. I don't think like Lexitonian's going. Who's contesting Nick's go on the front end of this thing? Lexitonian was the only one if I was trying to get cute. I, I, put it this way. I don't think Lexitonian can win this race from off of it. So I, I think Tyler Gaffleone is going to have to make a decision. Now, I, look, he comes out of that Churchill Downs stakes that I just – I mean, there was 17 horses across the track at the yeah. wire. I don't know what you want to do with that race. I think the only way he can win is by going, and that's that's at least my hope. As someone who was taking a horse that's probably coming from off the pace, is that they are aggressive and they make Joel move and make sure that you're going to have to use a little bit of energy to clear off of the front with Nick's go because, to your point, I mean, if he clears off and does it relatively easily, he's probably going to put on a show. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how Dr. Post runs in here. Um, he was really thought of as a, a good three-year-old for Chad last year. Uh, you know, he, they ran, you know, obviously, he ran second here uh, to tiz the law in that, uh, you know, impromptu Belmont to start the Triple Crown run. He sort of tailed off from there at the end of the year and then came back and ran a career best buyer in the Westchester. Uh, apparently been training very well for this race. Uh, you know, I'd be interested in using him in exactus, but I, I'm going to fool. I'm going to use your horse uh, definitely for sure on tickets, but I mean, I, I can't. Yeah, I have a hard. I, Brad Cox holds a heavy hand this entire weekend, and this might be his best bet to get a race. And that's saying something, given how many uh, horses he has. So I, I'm, I'm sort of chalky here. I'm glad that Matt's given you a price and by my standards. I think on paper, Nick's goal will be tough, and a little bit of Doctor Post uh, in the exacta. The eighth race is the uh, beginning of late pick four. It's the Just a Game again, uh, a staple here on Belmont Day. Uh, we got a pretty good score. Uh, I'd say a decent price with uh, Blowout and New York Girl running one two. On Derby Day, blowout, again, at least on paper, time form pace projector says blowout's going to go to the front, uh, depending on what the European runners do. Uh, Chad, again, nice hand here in the Justa game. This is a deep field. Anyone want to go with blowout here, Matt? Another wire-to-wire winner for Chad. I, I think blowout makes plenty of sense here for that reason, that it looks like she is the controlling speed. But you, you brought up an interesting point. I'll be very curious to see how Summer Romance 
is written for Charlie Appleby, one of two in here, especially when you consider Summer Romance is a straightforward speed type, while Althika is a horse who wants to come from out of the clouds. Off the pace, so yeah. you would think that maybe you get some, some team tactics here and maybe Summer Romance goes out there to ensure that there's a legitimate pace. Um, there was a filly who, when she came over here and made her, her U.S. debut, I was just blown away, and I know she didn't beat anything that day. And maybe she's been a little disappointing in her two subsequent starts for Chad. I, I can't get past Tama here and here. I just I, I think this is what she wants. I don't think she wants to be nearly as close to the front as she was in the Jenny Wiley. She was also lit up like a Christmas tree early on, entering the first turn because they were going so slow early on that she had no choice but to be forward. I think she's going to take a step forward off of that race. I think she comes from a little bit farther off of it three or four lengths back as opposed to being up a length or length and a half off like she was down at Keeneland last out. I, You know, I, I'm not going to argue with anyone that says pocket square because Irad goes there and she's got a wicked turn of foot. I'm not going to argue with Althika. I mean, look, you can go so many different ways. It's a really fun race. But I just I, – I would really feel foolish if, if Tamma here beat me in this spot when I've been on her for all three starts. I believe in the talent. Um, I don't think you get six to one. I think she's probably three to one or seven to two, but I'll go with the 10 Tam here. Again, we're taping this Thursday afternoon, so double check this and, and you can you know, delete right through this if it ends up not being the case. But there's a report this afternoon that sweet by and by the two for Safi Joseph, who's the other speed in this race, I think that could put some pressure on blowout or at least on paper is the second speed. Uh, is not going to run, not only scratched out Thursday, but not going to run in the race on Saturday. There's something wrong physically. And if that's the case, I mean, to me, I, I liked blowout already. I think Blowout's going to be on the front end. We've seen Flavian Pratt now lose by a nose and win on this horse. He's gotten to know this horse, and, and given the, the turf condition, uh, that's not going to be an issue for her. I like Blowout. Let me run by uh, my ridiculous horse of the weekend. And I, sure. I, this, a horse had been off my radar forever because the horse got hurt, turns out. But George Weaver and Daddy is a legend. It was 30-1 to on the morning line. There are races in this horse's past performance. The Matriarch, again, this is a while ago, we'll go back to 2018, but the Matriarch in 2019, second to get Stormy, only three races th- since then, and clearly something went wrong. But back in the hands of George Weaver, came back in a no-pace allowance race and won under Joel Rosario, and it has to take a major leap forward here. But at 30-1, to 1, I felt like this horse is one that I absolutely want to fool around with uh, at the bottom of trifecta tickets, anything back close to some of her good race a couple of years ago, and she is right there and is going to be a ridiculous price. Any any thought on Daddy's Legend? Did you ever like her when she was running in big races like the Matriarch, like the Just the Game? She finished third in this race uh, back in June of 2019. No, I, look, I loved her when she was a three-year-old. And, you know, you brought up the first Matriarch she ran back in 2018. That, to me, was far and away. That was the best race she's ever run, despite yeah. the fact that it wasn't the fastest on the figs. And she only lost by a half length to Uni, and we know what Uni was capable of. Kidura was a nice mare at that point as well. Um, and I I feel like she was just sort of unlucky in 2019. She just faced the best of the best. You see Bo Recall's name in there. You see Got Stormy, Rushing Fall. I mean, she, she was taking on some really salty fillies and mares. Obviously, something went wrong last year where yeah. you had such an abbreviated campaign I don't think you're supposed to look at either of those two races in 2020 and really do anything with them. The return effort at Keeneland, I thought it was a nice tune-up. I think she'll take a step forward. The question now is, is it enough of a step forward to run with not one, not two, not three, not four Chads, or however many there are, (laughs) and the horses coming over from Dubai? But to your point, 
I'm willing to find out at, at 20 or 30 to 1 because this is a failure I'm at this point. She's six. Well, she has multiple races, to your point, that are fast enough to at least put her in with a puncher's chance. And, and there's nothing wrong with, with using a 20 or 30 to 1 shot to spice some things up. So I'm with you on Daddy as a legend. I mean, she was 5 to 1 against Bo Recall, a newspaper record, and La Signari last yeah. year. And she again, she did not yeah. run well in that race, but something went wrong. And the comeback was just good enough. And the confidence that George Weaver shows in a horse that he had, you know, way back in, in 2018 when Manny Franco was the regular rider, when she won uh, she won the, just, uh, the, the Lake George uh, up in Saratoga. So, I, and it's a ridiculous price. Chad's got a, a strong hand here. I like blowout to win. Uh, you mentioned some other Chads we should use here as well. But I'm just telling people, at 30 to 1, do not leave Daddy as a legend uh, off your trifecta tickets if you're a tri-player uh, this weekend. Or if you're like me, I'm going to put some show money on uh, at 30 to 1. That's what I'll do. That's how sick I am uh, in race number 8 uh, on Saturday. Uh, your, your approach, Matt, just will get you out on this. You're a busy man. you got races to handicap. you got uh, more podcasts to do. you got to get ready for a Mohegan Sun event on Saturday. Uh, what's your plan from a, a, an attacking the, 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 these really two days? Let's forget Thursday for a second. But there's so many opportunities Friday and Saturday. What are the bets? What are the places you're willing to get involved in? What stands do you want to take over the course of the two days? The, the bigger is sort of just from a philosophical standpoint, with some of these horses who may not end up being win prices that really get your juices flowing, I think there's still an opportunity to play big doubles into them. And that's kind of what my, my plan is going to be on Saturday for the most part. You know, I'll put together some pick four, pick five, pick six sort of things. But for many of the horses that I am interested in, genuinely interested in from a win standpoint, I, I'm probably just going to take the approach of if I can find one or two horses in the race preceding and press up some sort of bigger doubles, and I'm not saying you know $200 doubles, but enough that you're going to get a nice return, a better return than you would just playing them outright to win. And you can really do the same thing with it with a pick three if you if you so choose. But that's kind of my approach as more and more time goes by with these big days especially, where some of the horses that you like, they're going to get a little bit over bet or, or maybe they're just not the value that you would prefer. Uh, you can still kind of create some of that value by pressing up those, those doubles and, and pick threes and trying to really emphasize your opinion. So that, that's kind of my approach going into it. Um, I won't do that for every single race, but on the horses that I really am interested in betting, I will try to press up some sort of doubles leading into them to go along with the other multi-race. Well, and to Matt's point, one thing to keep an eye on uh, that I've noticed on, on in, in Belmont, New York especially, all, every other jurisdiction has the 50-cent pick threes, and people love punching the all button there. It ends up knocking down prices. They don't do it as much with the dollar pick three, which they still have in New York. So you're, you're able to – I think you can find some value there. I like the doubles idea. Uh, and they're rolling pick threes all day, and you got the doubles, and there's some good opportunities uh, really from you know Friday on uh, to, to get some horses that normally, even as Matt said, they might be short prices, Matt, but they'd be four to five on a Wednesday at Belmont. They might be two to one because the fields are so good these two days. Absolutely, and I mean, that's why we kind of call this the, the Breeders' Cup in June. It's just one of those days where you have opportunities. You've got even, and I go back, I sound like a broken record, the fields may not be enormous. They may not be the size of Breeders' Cup fields, but because they're so competitive, you may get slight overlays. You may get horses that should be 3-1 to one that are going to go off at 9-2, to two, which inherently is a positive value. That's, that's a, good, it's a good bet, a good betting proposition, an overlaid price. 
those are the things that I think you can really thrive with on days like this. So uh, not only do you have good gambling opportunities, but you're going to get just top-class racing start to finish. All right, people are probably listening to this by the time they play Game 3, but going into the playoffs, Matt Bertier, who is uh, on the NBC Sports Edge picking hockey games like a lunatic every single night, uh, you like you liked the Bruins to make a cup run. It is 1-1 at least now in this series. Are you wavering at all in the Islanders series? Are they still a legit cup contender in your mind? No, I, I still think from a talent standpoint, to me, there's no question they are the more talented team. Uh, I don't love that that Cassidy was sort of, I don't want to say coy, but he was saying, you know, Tuca's a little bit banged up, and we know that he missed all that time with that back injury. So that's, you know, a little bit of a red flag. But they, they are still the better of the two teams. Now, the, the loss in game two certainly hurt their cause. I don't love the betting. And like you say, this game will have already probably finished by the time folks are listening to this. But for some reason, the Islanders were plus money on the money line at home tonight at Nassau Coliseum, which has been a house of horrors for road teams. I think it's going to be a gross couple games down there. I think it would be ideal if they could split and come back to Boston 2-2 at that point, take care of business at home and wrap this thing up hopefully in six. But I still believe in Boston. I think they are the team to beat. Uh, as far as the series goes, and I could even take it a step further. I think they deserve to be considered in that same category, maybe not quite as good as a Colorado, but I think they're just a slight notch below. All right, sticking with them, uh, you can follow it at Bernier underscore Matt on Twitter. He posts all his hockey stuff, his racing stuff. He's got podcasts, got the Matt Bernier show, and he stuck with me on Saturday down at Mohegan Sun trying to carry the handicapping to the hundreds of fans that'll be there. Because, look, I feel like we're sort of coming out of COVID now, Matt. I think we're going to have a little Belmont party Saturday at Mohegan. I'm so excited, man. I, it's been so long since I've been down there. It's been so long since I've seen you or Zach or anybody else down there. It's going to be a great time. And, um, you know, just, again, it, it's it's a full day thing. I think that's the other part, too. It's not, you know, we get some of these big days where you look at it and there's one race that you have circled. And, yeah, I don't want to say you kind of just bide your time and get through it to that point. I mean, get get ready. The the great stakes start at what twelve thirty something like that. Twelve forty seven. The Woody Stevens. Yeah, we're so we, looking forward. They're putting us to work early. We're on at twelve thirty. First day, grade one of the day is at twelve forty seven. You're not going to get an earlier grade one run all day, all year in North America than twelve forty seven Eastern time uh, for the Woody Stevens. Matt, excellent stuff. No agenda uh, for you on top of competitive field in the Belmont. Look forward to work with you Saturday, buddy. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Yeah, see you in a couple days, man. Well, we uh, get set here for Belmont Stakes 153. There is nobody better to break down this race and a couple of the other stakes races with than our buddy uh, Dick Girardi, longtime uh, journalist, both in Philadelphia and for the Daily Racing Forum, one of the best in the business. Now with us today, courtesy of betonline.ag, where they got the Belmont Stakes odds up there. Central quality, just over 2-1. to one. I think it'll probably be shorter on Belmont Day, but we will find out with our friend Dick Girardi. Dick, what's going on? Happy Belmont. Happy Belmont to you, Mike. Uh, looking forward to it. Fun race, short field, but a lot of really good horses. Yeah, it's a short field, but it's a competitive field. There are a bunch of win candidates in here, and uh, as uh, as I told our friend Matt Bernie, hopefully I can do a better job than uh, I did in the Preakness, which uh, I, I still I can go back and look at the race and see how Ron Bauer won, but uh, I, I was nowhere close on Preakness Day. Yeah, didn't see him before the race. I, I had the race pegged how it would be run. I knew who would be helped and hurt by it, but yeah, I did not. I did not see Ron Bauer, and 
Yeah, congratulations to my buddy Michael McCarthy. He brought he brought the best horse to Baltimore, and he was great that day. He sure did. He's going to get a chance to get a second leg of the Triple Crown on Saturday. He's three to one on the line. He's Ron Bauer, and it's the Belmont Field. There are eight horses in here, uh, led by Central Quality. He ran a good race in the Derby. Uh, Todd Pletcher's got a contender in here as well. Hot Rod Charlie, Rocky World, a couple West Coast Invaders, and look, I, I think the, the conversation does start uh, in this race with Essential Quality. People have to decide. Do they want to take two to one on the horse that handicappers believe ran the best race in the Derby, or is there a shot to beat him? Let's get the Dick Girardi uh, reset first on a Central Quality's Derby. What is it as bad as handicappers say it is? And his your thoughts on his chances here on Saturday in the Belmont? Look, I thought he gave a great account of himself at the Derby. Obviously, he was the widest of the group and had to make up ground on a day where nobody was making up ground. Uh, so, yeah, he ran really well. Uh, I thought in many ways the best race of his career – he just happened to run into three horses who ran a little bit better. Not a lot better, just a little bit better. So, yeah, Central Quality, major contender. Tappets have been winning the Belmont. The five weeks off has been winning the Belmont. Nothing not too like about a Central Quality, with the exception of the, as you just said, Mike, the possible price. Because I don't know that he's any better than Ron Bauer or Hot Rod Charlie, but yet you're, you're going to, if you like them, you're going to get the worst of the prices on those three. Yeah, and separating the group is a little bit difficult for me, I'll be honest, because I, I get a central quality. Ron Bauer ran a big race, but I'm I'm not convinced he can back it up, especially at 3-1 to one or 5-2. to two. I liked Hot Rod Charlie in the Derby. I like him here a bit on Saturday, but he did admittedly get a good trip and was not able to go by some of the horse in front of him. Rockier World ran a great race in the Santa Anita Derby and was eliminated in the Kentucky Derby. Known, addenda, known agenda for Todd. Uh, we know what Todd does in this race. And they're just five horses to me as I look at it. Those five stand out and separating the two may come down to price to some extent on Saturday. I, I think that's how I'm going to have to play because I just, envisioning how the race is going to be run. I think we ought to all agree Rock Your World's going to be in front. Yep. He obviously, he can just put a line through his derby. He, had no, he was eliminated. Now, is he good enough? I mean, he's got the one dirt race that you can evaluate. It was a good one, but he cleared the field on a live rail uh, at Santa Anita's home track. Not a lot of experience. You know, maybe he can get there. And if he's three in front on the backstretch going 49, then you like him. And that could happen. Um, but to me, he's the weakest of the bets because he could also run nowhere. Uh, I, I didn't like him at all in the Derby just because I thought that I didn't think that would happen. But I just didn't think he had enough experience, and I didn't think he was going to clear the field. Uh, but I didn't think he was going to run that bad either. Uh, that was just bizarre. Of the California horses, I like Rob Bauer and Hot Rod Charlie better. I just think they give you more of, a, of an idea of what will happen. I can't come up with any reason why Hot Rod Charlie won't run well. He's run well every time with the blinkers. And I do think Ron Bauer, it's interesting. I, I, I've had a theory on this for a while, Mike, the, the one-figure horse, right, goes from 88 to 102. Like, you know, what's going on here? Typically when that happens, those horses have a tendency to get under bet the next time. But maybe that's just the new reality. If this horse is like six or seven to one, which he's not going to be, I would love to bet on Ron Bauer because I think there's a chance he can do it again. I hadn't thought about that. And, and if those that don't know, many of your longtime handicappers who are listening and taking notes here today, they know. I mean, Dick did a lot of work uh, with buyer speed figures and buyer associates. And so I, I like that speed figure note to me. And I, you say under bet, I'm one of the handicappers, Dick, that gets scared off of that because I want to see 
a horse do it again. So I, if, if psychologically, that makes sense because that one figure, I go, ah, he can't, he can't match it up. And you're, you're probably right. Those horses, I don't get bet the way they should next time out. Yeah, my theory is really simple. If, if a horse who does that gets like bet, like now he's six to five the next time, do not bet on that horse. But if they get ignored, and I'll give you a good recent example of that. Remember Spun to Run, the Parks horse in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile? Sure, yeah. He came into the race at Santa Anita with the best number. He had jumped his number 10 points. Everybody says, well, he can't do it again. Well, he was 10 to 1. In 10 to 1, you, you try to see if he can do it again, and of course he did. So it's strictly price. And I think Ron Bauer is going to – he's not going to be 6-5, to five, obviously, but nor is he going to be 10-1 to one in a short field. Uh, but I, I think that he's more likely to run back to that race than not. Uh, that's, that's my thought. And I just visually – I thought he was great in the Preakness. I, I, I'm like you, Mike. I didn't see it coming. But once you see it, you've got to reevaluate what you thought. Uh, so we mentioned four of the horses here that I think are contenders. We, you have not talked about Dick. Known agenda for Todd, who, you know, Todd's record here is pretty immaculate what he does here in the Belmont yeah. Stakes. Where does known agenda, the number uh, six horse, fit in this field? Yeah, I think if he wasn't Todd, I wouldn't take it all that seriously. But you just mentioned how good he's been. A couple of wins, a whole bunch of seconds. It's, it's, look, he points for it. They run in the derby. They set the five. It's his home track. Todd's figured out the the Belmont Stakes. He knows how to get horses to run really well in it. My issue with Note Agenda is really simple. I don't know if his best race is good enough to beat the best race of essential quality, Ron Bauer and Hot Rod Charlie. Try to beat all three of them. I just think that's unlikely. His Florida Derby was really good. The two races with Blinkers were good. But he beat Soup and Sandwich in the Florida Derby. Uh, <laughs> the last he was seen, he needed a Soup sandwich and some water in the derby because <laughs> he was heading backwards. So uh, I don't know that he's just quite good enough, but obviously major respect for the trainer. And you're going to kick out of this. After the derby, I called my buddy Kendrick Carmouche just to talk, see how the experience was. And he said, of course, he, he got eliminated just because of the, just too much traffic in front of him and not good enough. He said, I'll win the Belmont. So I took that under advisement. I love Kendrick. I hope he runs well. I do not think he's going to win the Belmont, but it would be great if he did. He's a great story. We talked about him on the Derby podcast as a, yep. as a, as a diehard New York racing fan. I love Kendrick because he's not afraid to go to the lead dick, and, and guess what? Yep. Jockeys in New York are. So when Kendrick goes to the front, that's a good thing. Yep. Kendrick, Kendrick and Bruce Levine, I always like that team uh, on the track. So we talked about a bunch of these, Dick. Uh, who do you want to be alive to? Who's your pick on top in this race? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back with Hot Rod Charlie, Mike. I think so. I, I, I picked him in the Derby, finished third. I picked uh, the, the horse that finished second in the Preakness. So I am due uh, to get the right winner here. And, and do I come in here with great confidence? I don't, because I think there's not a lot of difference between the two, three, and the four here. Uh, such a quality Ron Bauer and Hot Rod Charlie. But I'm going with him. I love Pratt. Um, people may not know the reason why he's not riding Ron Bauer. He made a commitment after the, uh, before the Derby that he'd ride Hot Rod in any of the Triple Crown races. Not that he doesn't like Rob Bauer. I'm sure he does. Uh, but I'm a huge Pratt fan. Uh, I think he's as good as it is in the country right now. And I don't think the general public has quite caught up with that yet. So Hot Rod Charlie is slight edge, but a very, very tough Belmont. Yeah, it's interesting. I- I'm hoping, Dick, you can give people that, that may not know – the mechanics behind this, like they're going to, there'll be some first time and some novice handicappers and you learn through experience, yep. you learn through losing uh, that they're going to look at the Belmont and say, well, I want a closer 
at a mile and a half yeah. in a Belmont. It took me a long time to realize that's not the case. Can you explain what kind of horse you look for in a race like this? Because, you know, it's it, to me, it's not a closer. It's somebody who's a grinder, can be in touch with the field, you know, between that fir- in that first mile of that race. Yeah, 100%. It's absolutely not a deep closer race. It's one of those things that it just, it, it, you look at it, you go, oh, it's going to be a horse coming from a million miles behind. The reason it doesn't happen, well, there's a couple. One, none of these horses want to go a mile and a half anyway. So they're all getting tired in the last quarter mile, including the horses that are trying to close. They're getting as tired as the horses are in front. And in addition, the pace is very rarely very fast in the Belmont. So if you're close to the pace, you're going the slowest pace of any of the three triple crown races. So I don't look at it as a mile and a half so much as how fast will they have to go to get to the quarter pole. And generally, the answer is not very fast. So, yeah, stay away from deep closures at the Belmont. It's a really good way to lose money every year. Uh, competitive races, Dick talks about. He'll be on Hot Rod Charlie, who uh, was also my pick in the Derby and certainly, I think, deserves a big look uh, in this race. Uh, Going to be in touch with the field early. Should get a nice trip behind some of the speeds. And might end up being a pretty good price. 7-2, 4-1 to be a very good price to me. Uh, for Hot Rod Charlie. That's not the race we're talking about here because we have eight grade ones. We have another grade two. It's just it's a little Breeders' Cup in June, and it's going to start at 1247. You're finishing up, speaking of soup and sandwich, your lunch on Saturday, and you walk into a grade one race. uh, In a grade one race, the Woody Stevens, a really fun race. The three-year-olds that maybe were trying the longer distances before now are cutting back to sprints, and Jackie's Warrior ran out of his mind uh, on Derby Day in that Pat Day mile going wire-to-wire for Jarrell Rosario, a really, really uh, legitimate 7-5 favorite. What do you want to do here in the race number three, first of eight grade one races with Jackie's Warrior uh, as a morning line favorite 7-5 here in the Woody Stevens, Dick? Yeah, I tried to beat Jackie's Warrior in the Pat Day mile, and boy, as you just said, Mike, he ran tremendous. I mean, he had every reason to give it up. He's in a speed duel, 21-3, and 43-3. And he just holds on. Uh, having said that, I think there's a chance this is going to be even more of a speed duel with Drain the Clock to his inside, a lot of ones and twos there. Cato River, I don't know that he's fast enough since he's been coming out of roots, but he's certainly got some speed. So Jackie's Square is going to have to contend with another hot pace going shorter, uh, dropping back from a mile to seven eighths. And there's nothing to suggest Jackie Square is going to pass any horse. He never has. So I, I, I like Dreamshick. I picked him in the Pate Mile. I thought he ran great. I think he's going to get an even better trip this time. I think he sits fourth behind the speed. Pratt, I can see him making that three-deep Belmont move. I like Dreamshake. I, I like the way that Peter Hurton has campaigned him. He never overreached. He just jumped in. I said, oh, we're going to pass the Derby. We're going to the Pate Mile. I just, I just like how he's gone about it. I, I'm a dream shake. Well, folks, we'll tell you right now. Uh, if if Dick has a good day, I'm going to have a good day because I like Hot Rod Charlie <laughs> in the Derby. I like Dream Shake at Mohegan Sun back on Derby Day. And I like him again here today for a lot of reasons that Dick said. Uh, and you get Flavian Pratt, Dick's guy again, uh, and will not be the favorite, be closer to three to one than the the favorite Jackie's Warrior. The other horse I want people to take notice of uh, is the number one horse, Nova Rags. Assuming that this track is not completely souped up and speed's not going wire to wire, uh, Nova Rags is going to get that cutback, which I love to see. Uh, Bill Mott goes from the mile and an eighth, Peter Pan back to seven furlongs. If we think that Drain the Clock and Jackie's Warrior, Cotter River are going, you want closers in this race. And I think Nova Rags at a good price uh, for Bill Mott, who's 21% route to sprint uh, in these races. I'm a sucker for cutbacks. I'm going to use him uh, with Dream Shake on top and try to get the exact to home in the Woody Stevens. Race number four, you go from a seven furlong race to a mile and a half. The grade two Brooklyn. Uh, we saw Marconi win this back in 2019. I admit 
I am not great with these long-distance races, Dick. They all sort of look the same to me. What do you want to do going a mile and a half in race number four with Brooklyn? Well, you gave the preview a little bit ago. None of these riders want to go to the front. Kendrick Carmouche does. He's on the five, musical heart, who just won loose in the lead at a mile and three-eighths. I think he's loose again. I don't see any other pace in here. I don't know why Kendrick wouldn't be in front with this horse. Um, so, yeah, I'm liking musical heart. Get him out there. He's got a 100 buyer, which is the best last race buyer in this race. He's listed at 9-2, to two, and I think that's about what it is because he's coming out of an ungraded into, into a grade two stake. And, and there's horses with some credentials in here that have won some big races. So I, I, got, I think he might be a little ignored in the betting. So musical heart to the front for Rob Atris and, and Kendrick, and let's take them all the way. Yeah, I'm going to uh, certainly use for sure as a speed going a mile and a half. I'm also going to use Moretti for Todd Pletcher, the number six horse, four to one with Irad Ortiz. Late last year, they started to stretch this horse out with second by a mile. To Tacitus is a damn good horse himself. Uh, then came back and won the Birdstone. Now they put him on the shelf. The workouts look good. You get Irad Ortiz going a mile and a half, and I thought sitting behind uh, some of that speed up front if there was any sort of pace pressure uh, on number five for Kendrick Carmouche that uh, I thought the number six Moretti could sit the trip. Uh, but I'm going to use a bunch here because I'm not good at these long distance races, but I like the idea of speed. Uh, and I'm going to use Dick's horse and certainly number six horse uh, Moretti. The fifth race, another grade one. We're back uh, going to the Phillies. They're going a mile for three-year-olds on the main track, race number five. Another one of these races where there's not a huge field here, Dick, but there is a lot of talent led by search results who ran her heart out against Malathot there in the Kentucky Oaks. Yeah, I can't get by the favorite here. Uh, you just mentioned how well search results ran. I actually had a head-to-head bet with a good buddy of mine, search results against Malathat. So I actually should have gotten a price. I ended up even money. I got the wrong <laughs> price and the wrong horse. But she ran great. Um, I, I, I Look, I, I think this is a nice field, but there's a hot pace. Travel column's going to go. Miss Brazil goes. Dad of the office goes. I think search results with IRAD sits third or fourth on the outside swoops him on the turn and wins convincingly for Chad at, I don't know, even money, four to five, six to five, take your pick. Looks like a major standout. The only horse I'm going to use to back up and underneath will be the horse that Dick mentioned day out at the office who I had no right to run that well coming off that long layoff yep. from last November, finishing second yep. to uh, uh, Vequist, came back and ran. I thought was a winner before obligatory. He was back in here, ran by. Last time was the time for obligatory. I don't want that horse. I want search results and day out at the office who gets, in my opinion, pretty significant jockey upgrade from uh, Corrales to John Velasquez, who it's a different podcast, Dick, but the, the fact that he sort of found this fountain of youth, I mean, Johnny V is riding yep. like when I, when I first started watching racing 20 years ago. That's how good he's riding right now. Yeah, and you know who he reminds me of a little bit because they're similar ages. It's Mike Smith, like yeah. three or four years ago, right? He's getting on all these Cadillacs, and he's always giving them a great trip, and, he, and he's winning. So, yeah, Johnny V, yeah, one of the best to ever do it. And, uh, yeah, never a bad thing to have Johnny V on back. Uh, maybe the toughest race in the card. Uh, I, we stick dick with these turf sprints, and it's not fair. The grade one Jiper, <laughs> race number six. Uh, you know, horse racing is roulette on horseback, and this thing just gets it crazy. They're trying to, they're going to be, I, I, you know, I say that back. I was going to say they're going to be flying. They might not be. There's very little pace signed yep. on for a six furlong turf yep. sprint, and it makes Wesley Wards bound for nowhere. The, the leader up front, and based on the pace advantage he has, he might be my free square of the day on Saturday. His last race is incredible, right? Yeah. This is the break. He's a speed horse. And you're going, oh, well, that's it for him. And here he comes with Rosario to run the field down, win by a nose. 
So whenever you see a – and Beats and Primus is a really good horse. Whenever you see a speed horse do that, look out. I'm with you. There's no pace. Normally there's all these speed horses in this race. I think this horse is in front. Rosario is the toughest guy in the country to get by. It's weird. This horse always has a different jockey every time. I'm not sure why that is, uh, but Bound for Nowhere is tough. The other contenders, I'm not ready to give up on Gut Stormy yet. Uh, I, I think their last race was just maybe a little too tough second race off the long layoff, but has sprinted effectively, including last year. And I'll give you a bit of a bomb. The 12, uh, some by a yep. Palladian Pratt and Peter Miller, who is the best there is at these turf sprints and often gets ignored in the wagering. Remember a couple of years ago, he ran 1-2 in the Breeders' Cup turf sprint at long odds. So keep the 12 in mind. But yeah, I, I absolutely think Bound for Nowhere is the horse to beat. And the only other horse I'll give, and it's a, it's a spread race for sure, unless you want to you know, stand on, on Bound for Nowhere, which I, I, makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, but that means every, if he's going to be 2-1, to one, a lot of the prices, and Dick mentioned too that uh, you should use don't be. Don't ignore the number three completed pass. Who made a little note on Preakness weekend was way outside with the thirteen. Had a brutal break and still ran third in not maybe a great field, but a very competitive field and ran a pretty good buyer speed figure of ninety six. Has worked out well since they decided to ship up here. So I'm not going to be surprised if uh, the number three horse completed pass runs a better race than the uh, twelve to one morning line odds would suggest. Part of uh, just an awesome. Awesome race day on Saturday, Dick. This is a handicapping podcast, but when I have a journalist like yourself on, i got to get two racing questions before we get out. Let's start with uh, the news of the week, and that is the split sample coming back. Uh, positive from Medina Spirit, likely to be DQ'd out of the Derby, and Churchill Downs waited, wasted no time. A two-year suspension from Churchill and CDI tracks. What did you make of the suspension uh, levied against Bob Baffert yesterday? I was surprised, but not shocked. Uh, you knew they were really upset uh, at Churchill because, look, this is their race. They don't want stories about Derby winner testing positive. It's just a bad, a bad look for Churchill. So I understand why they're so unhappy. Um, I, I get their emotion about the whole thing. But having said that, the second positive for this particular drug, again, a therapeutic, anti-inflammatory, not by any vet I've ever talked to, uh, a performance enhancer, it typically the, when, he, when he has his hearing, and, and he, I'm sure he's going to be found guilty because the, the, the split came back, like you said, it's a 15-day suspension uh, by the Ra- Kentucky Racing Commission. That's what I suspect the other jurisdictions will honor. Monmouth Park has said Bob can run in the Haskell. I know the people at Parks have said he can run in the PA Derby. Um, I, if this had happened in any race other than the Derby, I do not think Churchill would have reacted this way. But I absolutely understand why they are thinking what they're thinking. And look, it puts a lot of a lot of heat on Bob because all these good two-year-olds that he always gets, he's not going to get him this year because they're not going to be able to run in the Derby next year or the year after uh, unless somebody changes their mind. And I don't get any sense right now that Churchill plans to change its mind. Yeah, I wonder if he ends up retiring and deciding it's just it's easier to move on than, than fight this for a couple of years, depending on what happens in the appeal process. It, so uh, it's an opinion more than a, a news thing, but the other jurisdiction, California is not going to match the two years. What, what nope. about New York? What about Maryland? What about the rest of the country, Dick? What do you think they will do here in the next couple of weeks as it relates to this? Because it's a PR thing, and if they don't match what Churchill yep. did, they're going to be seen as, yeah. as as being weak at some level. Yeah, I, I honestly don't think anybody is. Okay. Uh, maybe New York, but I wouldn't want to make that prediction for sure. sure. I think everybody, the other track, Santa Anita, has said this. Is just, we're waiting. They're waiting for what the Kentucky Racing Commission says, which is the official body. 
And Churchill is not the official thing. They don't have to. Other tracks don't have to honor what Churchill did. And in fact, the people at Monmouth Park have already said uh, Baffert can run any horse he wants in the Haskell. Uh, same, same with I talked to the people at Parks. No problem with him at the PA Derby. So I don't see that two-year ban being honored many places, if any. Uh, what will be honored if the Kentucky Racing Commission suspends him and the recommendation for a second positive for betamethasone within a year is 15 days and a fine. Sure. It could be bigger than 15. I, I don't know what the commission's going to decide. But then every track in the country will honor that. Uh, suspension. I don't think they're going to honor the two years. That would really surprise me. And the last one for me, we do this every year, and, and you and I, I think, have been in agreement on this. And, and now your colleague, Andy Beyer, uh, went on Steve Bick this week and did a long diatribe on how the Triple Crown is a mess. They've got to stretch it out. This whole, what, two weeks, then then three weeks and a month. It doesn't make any sense anymore. And look, I, I agree, and I've agreed for a while. It should be one, one month between the Derby and the Preakness, another month between the Preakness and the Belmont, and stretch this thing out because it, horse races are different now. Trainers are different. Owners want to win. They want a high winning percentage. And I think, I feel like you've gotten to the point where uh, it could use a shakeup, and I would have no problem with the traditional breakup of what we now know as the Triple Crown timeline, Dick. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I have been for quite a while. It really hurt the Preakness this year, and oh, yeah. it's hurting the Preakness many years. When when a great trainer like Todd Pletcher doesn't run in the Preakness, almost never runs in the Preakness, unless, of course, he just won the Derby, that's telling you something. It's telling you the whole sport has changed. Doug O'Neill's a, a really top trainer. Uh, certainly Hot Rod Charlie belonged in the Preakness. He didn't run. Uh, Essential Quality belonged in the Preakness. He didn't run. That's the problem. We just had a weak field for one of our great races. That can't happen. We want the best fields for all three. I don't think it. I think it'll actually make the Triple Crown harder rather than easier because you'll have stronger fields in all three. So yeah, I, I'm with you. I, having said all that, and, and Andy, what he said is right. What you say is right. It's all. It's going to come down to a TV thing. I think NBC is going to make the call. If they want it within five weeks, it's going to be within five weeks. Yeah, and also the tracks. I mean, this is, again, bigger Correct. conversation. These tracks just cannot get on the same page. We still today in 2021, if you watch yep. simulcasting on a Saturday, Dick, and you got your Express yep. Bet or Naira Bets up, wherever you're playing, you'll have yep. two, ma- two yep. major tracks running races right on top of each other. How does that make Crazy. sense? No, it doesn't. And in England, it, they, it never happens. Uh, it just doesn't happen. It's just it's coordination. Look, we're going to have this national body in charge of drug testing, which is great. And that's going to be a cool thing, starting hopefully about this time next year. But that isn't the only thing. We need a national body in charge of all of it. So that kind of stuff doesn't happen. In fact, I will volunteer to be the head of post times for big races at big tracks. I can organize this. It's not that complicated. Let's do it. Oh, and I, okay, I second. Okay, Dick, you're in charge, Dick. No more races on top of each other starting this weekend, okay? It's you're your my fault. Assistant. You're my assistant. We'll get, when I'm off, you're in. Right uh, person. Uh, oh, good. Just uh, one of the best uh, journalists, sports journalists, equine journalists, Dick Girardi. Uh, with us today, betonline.ag. Check them out, Dick. We I hope that I, I hope that you and I get Dream Shake and Hot Rod Charlie home and Flavian Pat has a big weekend. If he does, we're gonna have a big weekend, my friend. We're dangerous with Flavian, no question. <laughs> and to close it out, Belmont one fifty three. The podcast here, Winners Club, would not be complete without our good friend Jessica Paquette, who a lot of you know. Uh, from Suffolk Downs, but of course now working with the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Going to be handicapping later this summer with uh, in the paddock, Jason Beam calling races at Colonial, but maybe most importantly, 
on her way to Texas to call quarter horse racing at Sam Houston Racecourse. What's going on, Jessica Buckett? You know, I'm at, a, at an airport, excited about the last leg of the Triple Crown, and excited to get on a plane. I've realized I've forgotten how to act in public, though. Um, I've been definitely, you know, pre-pandemic, <laughs> uh, inside too much. This is all very new. Uh, are you excited to call Ray? Is it just this weekend, multiple weekends? What's the plan to call at Sam Houston? I mean, I'd love to do it again if I'm not that bad at it. I'm really excited about it. I've been practicing. The race cards look great. Um, they go quick, about 17 seconds each race, so we'll see. <laughs> Uh, I cannot wait to watch and uh, tweet at Jess when she is uh, calling these races this weekend. It should be. Uh, I'm sure it's a great weekend in New York. I'm guessing that do they does Sam Houston try to build a big weekend? Are they just had, they just had a big weekend, right, in Texas racing? They had quite a big weekend. Um, there was a big stakes race last weekend. The races look really super this weekend. They have an earlier post time on Saturday to coincide with the Belmont, so a nice 1 o'clock post. Friday night, however, is a 6.45 Texas time, which is 7.45 for this East Coast body. So I'm going to be up really late on Friday night. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, I'm going to be. I got a little league in the, the afternoon, evening, and then I'll be back home handicapping Saturday's races, firing away at Sam Houston for the first time in my life with the quarter horses with Jessica Buckhead. Uh, who's going to help us here in a, three races here. They're going to be very brief with Jess, very busy uh, in the race world right now. We're going to do Belmont. We're going to do Ogden Phipps, and I do want to go back to one of the races on Friday, because it makes up part of what I think is a pretty cool double between a race on Friday and the Belmont Stakes. I'll start with the Belmont Race 11. It's the big one. Uh, I did not like Ron Bauer in the Preakness. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to like him in this race here, Jess, but not a, not a deep field. I mean, not a, 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 it's a very competitive field, uh, good on quality, not huge on numbers, which is fine with me. What do you want to do here in this final leg of the Triple Crown on Saturday? Well, this has been the strangest triple crown that I can remember. And Rombauer, I like the jockey change. I'm not going to lie. I like the switch to John Velasquez over Flavian Pratt, who rode him perfectly, picture perfect in the Preakness. Flavian did everything right, but you can see he's sticking with Hot Rod Charlie. But I like this horse's running style for Johnny V. That said, essential quality has been pointing to this race since the fourth place finish in the Derby. I think this is his race to lose. He looks like a Belmont horse to me. Uh, he's built like a Belmont horse. He's bred like one. I, I, I think Brad Cox is going to win two legs of the triple crown this year. Uh, I know a lot of people coming out of that uh, Kentucky Derby thought essential quality ran a better race than his fourth place finish, getting bumped early than being wide uh, in the lane, especially given the way it started. Did you believe that? Did you go back and watch that race, Jess, and think that was a better than the form looks for essential quality? I think he had an unlucky trip. I don't know if even with the perfect trip he wins that day, but I think he's a little bit closer. I mean, again, it was sort of a strange race, um, and Mandaloon ran a dynamite race. Uh, he'll be two to one. I, I suspect he'll end up going off as the favorite. He looks like the best horse on paper, and as you said, uh, you know Brad Cox can really get a horse ready. He was, you know, the best two-year-old. Obviously, won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, and uh, any sort of return to, uh, you know, his sort of form. I think he's definitely a very likely winner and one of the real, real win contenders. Anyone else you want to use in exotic plays or underneath? Uh, as you're not known to give out two to one uh, chalk picks here on this podcast. No, and I, and I can't continue with that. Uh, I do like both of Todd's horses, Known Agenda and Bourbonic. I think Bourbonic at a big price, 15 to 1. I'll take, I'll take Todd in the Triple Crown race at that any day of the week. And I think Kendrick Carmouche rides this horse really well. I caught this horse's last workout. I think he looks good. I still, I don't know if he's truly, you know, a world-beating grade one type. But with his running style, he's the kind that can really suck you in going a mile and a half because that big, you know, deep closer, you, you think that. You know, he just needs more distance to win. And maybe, I mean, maybe he just needs cheaper competition to win. But 
I think you can get a piece of it. And uh, again, I'll take Pletcher at double digit odds. Uh, so essential quality with the two Todds underneath. I certainly think Nona Agenda's got a shot based on getting off the rail uh, from that Kentucky Derby run. I did want to ask you before we get some other races here about France uh, go Diana, who I did no again no interest in the uh, in the Preakness there. Lost by seventeen lengths. Are we supposed to like this horse coming back? You know, in, in running in the Belmont now is this a horse that is bred to go the mile and a half, Jess? He's been just really entertaining to watch. Uh, he has kind of a Lonnie Thundersnow vibe with kind of some Ooh. bad behavior, and, and he he seems quite difficult to deal with on a regular basis. I don't know. He's a horse that I think does his best running when he shows a little speed. You kind of wonder, if he breaks well, if he, if he gets an uncontested lead, maybe he can kind of put them to sleep and go gate to wire. I don't know. He has shown nothing to make me think that he can run with this group at this point, though. There are some other speeds in there, too. Obviously, Rock Your World off the bad break in the Derby, and now, as you mentioned earlier, uh, I think Hot Rod Charlie I'm wants to be him. in the I'm front. Done with really done. Done with Rocky. Done with Rocky World. He suckered me in a little bit in the Derby, kind of against my better judgment. And no way, I'm done. I'm done with him. Uh, so we're going to go essential quality with the two Chads, and those will be both prices underneath. So if that ends up coming home, even with the favorite on top in that Belmont Stakes, you are going to get paid. I asked Jess for to pick out one of the race, and you immediately. Uh, went to race number seven, which works out perfectly. It's race seven, grade one Ogden Phipps, about 3.15 Eastern time uh, on Saturday. And again, like, it's not a huge field, but everybody except Monomoy Girl, who's on the shelf right now, showed up here. Latruskoff, that big one in the Apple Blossom. Swiss Skydiver, the Preakness winner a year ago. She Shares the Devil, Matt Bernier's house horse. Bonnie South for Brad Cox. But this is a very competitive field. I think there's a three or four horses that could win this race. What do you want to do here in the grade one going a mile and a 16th for the uh, Phillies and Mayors four and up on Saturday? If you're a fan of horse racing, this is certainly the race to tune in for. This is the best race on the cards, the best race of the weekend. A legitimate grade one winner could easily finish fourth in this spot. So Latruska, what do you do with Latruska? I loved her race in the Apple Blossom. I'm a little bit concerned with her coming off Lasix here. I don't know if that's really the move for this mare. But she's one, you know, and this doesn't do you any good if you've already placed your tickets, but you know how she's going to run in the first opening quarter. So if she's on in, in the Apple Blossom, you saw her on the lead kind of flopping her ears back and forth, and she was just doing that so easy. I knew there was no way she was getting caught. Um, but again, some questions. I like the jockey change on Swiss Skydiver an awful lot. Ooh. And, and it's, it's such an easy horse to root for. I mean, I think, I think last time— I mean, especially with Robbie Alvarado off. Well— <laughs> You said it, I didn't. It's going from Robbie to Jose, it, especially in New York, is a major upgrade. And I didn't think the horse got a great trip last time under Robbie. I, I don't think it was a great. Uh, I don't think it was a great ride. I don't think it was a great trip. And I, you know, I think if she can rate a little bit, she has some tactical speed, but she isn't like a needs the lead sort. And if she sits just off of she dares the devil and the Cruz guy, I think she gets the perfect pace setup. I think Jose Ortiz is going to be a great fit for her. Yeah, but I, there's a little value in here if you're if you're looking for a price. Too. A Swiss skydiver at five to two, and I don't think it's going to be the favorite. I think or not, at least as there's too many other good horses here to be a strong favorite. Maybe she'll go five to two, but that's still a bettable price even on top. Who are the I have a price that I'm going to pick on top in this race. Who are the prices you want to use with uh, the number one horse with Skydiver? So I'm going with Valiance at a little bit of a price. Uh, I, again, Todd Stir at a price. I just, I'm, if there's a pace collapse, you know, if she tears the devil, the truth can really hook up and slug it out early. I think they're going to back up in the lane. And I think Valiance can really capitalize on that. 
So I, I'm playing it the same way you are, Jess, but I landed on the 10-to-1 shot, Brad Cox in the outside, Bonnie South. I think there is too much speed here, like you said, for Horse to go wire to wire. Second off the layoff for Brad. They could have stayed home and run in his backyard in the floor to Lee. He puts this horse on the plane, on the van, don't know how the horse got here, uh, but gets Joel Rosario, second off the layoff. Last year, second off the layoff. Improved the buyer speed points by 11 from 87 to 98. Is going to sit that outside stalking trip and make one run. And a 10-to-1 I wanted a closer in this race, and I actually picked Valiant second with Chris Stoddard third, but I had the same feeling you did. This thing has to it has to be heated up up front, correct? It has to be. There's no way. If you let Latruska go early, you're not catching her. So, I mean, she dares the devil has to go with her. And point, I do want to point out, too, uh, if you have your workout reports uh, from Kentucky, Bonnie Self been working out with Essential Quality. They've been working out sort of head-to-head. So if you like Essential Quality uh, in, the, in the Belmont on Saturday, uh, take a look at Bonnie South and an awesome Ogden Phipps. I'm going to make you work on one of the races on Friday. It's race number 10, 548 Eastern Time. It's the two-mile Belmont Gold Cup. And initially... I wanted to look at it because it, it makes this Belmont Gold Cup, Belmont Stakes double. It's only a dollar. I like these two-day plays. But then th- there's nobody better at the these long-distance dirt or turf races that I talk to on a daily basis or weekly basis on racing than Jessica Paquette. I see a bunch of Mike Makers in here. I see a bunch of turf breeding. I don't know who wants to go two miles, who can get the two miles and set us up to be alive in the double. What do you think for contenders in the two-mile Belmont Gold Cup grade two uh, Friday night race 10? Well, I just appreciate that when you suggested this race, it meant that my handicapping today went from handicapping a two-mile race to handicapping a 300-yard quarter horse race at Sam Houston. So, you know, really covering all of the spectrum here. Uh, but this really, I mean, I'm very excited to call the quarter horses and to take in some quarter horse racing. But a two-mile turf race is really my, you know, my true jam here. And I am eating a little bit of chalk. I think the favorite's going to be awfully tough here. Uh, I mean, there are always some questions with these horses coming in from Europe, but I don't think Joseph O'Brien's putting this horse on a plane to take in the sights of New York. And I like John Velasquez aboard. So I think I think Johnny B is kind of the goat of our you know modern time horse racing uh, horse racing generation. He's the he's the best jockey of his of his of our lifetime. And uh, there's no one that finishes better than Johnny B. And that horse, for people who are not looking at the former, they should have their notes out by now. This, the horse number eight for Joseph O'Brien, Baron Sumday. I'm probably not pronouncing it wrong. Uh, but I, you're right, because you always sort of defer to those European horses coming over because that's this is what they're bred to do. This is what they've been doing their entire lives versus some of these horses we're looking at have some dirt form in their background trying to go these two miles on Friday. Well, and this horse clearly wasn't a world beater in Europe. I mean, he raced on synthetics in Ireland, which, you know, that's never really an indication of great intention. Um, but he had won a couple of, you know, a group two and a group three and looking at his running style, you know, he kind of stalks and then makes this move. And that's the kind of horse that Johnny V just gets the most out of at the stretch. And I think, I mean, I, I think if he takes to the turf course handles, you know, racing without Lasix, they'll, he'll be fine. Anybody else you'd want to use in the, uh, the two day doubles going into the Belmont stakes? I am um, a big Grand Motion fangirl, so number three, Zayat, I do think offers a little bit of value. Watching this horse run his last couple of races, he looks like he's screaming for more distance, certainly has the pedigree for it. I mean, kind of bred to run all day, being by, um, just double-checked, and I'm not making applies here yet, uh, being by Rock of Gibraltar, a nice female family, homebred. There's just a lot of quality there, and you can see that he's, you know, he's almost run two miles. He's almost made it there. Yeah, he's been right there in these distance only, races. There's only one horse here that's actually run two miles before, and that's Conviction Trade. Um, and that was at Gulfstream in December. Um, 
he's and he did fine. I mean, certainly has no problem. That kind of tactical speed that he has, I think, really translates in these long distance races, too. They can put them to sleep on the front end. Yeah, that's the one I was going to try to build my tickets around, because like you said, the, the pace advantage potentially, Irad Ortiz going around a distance. And for some reason, Mike Maker's been able to stretch these horses out over the years, these distance races, whether it's been, you know, the Red Smith, whether it's been the, the race down at uh, you know Kentucky Downs at Churchill. He finds a way to get these horses to get that distance. So I, I like your idea of the European. I'm going to use the European with a couple of the uh, Mike Maker horses try to get through and get alive to a couple in this uh, two-day double. Meanwhile, uh, we'll be at Mohegan Sun. You'll be at Sam Houston calling the races. We're going to put them on on Saturday and have the whole place listen to you on Saturday. Oh, God, that gives me, that gives me a little bit of hives. But, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> um, feel free to heckle me on Twitter. Just just keep heckling. No one's heckling Jessica Paquette on Twitter. Uh, you can tra- you can find her, obviously, uh, on Twitter. You can obviously watch Sam Houston this weekend, and we're looking to her essential quality to try to close out this Triple Crown. Jess, have a great time this weekend. Look forward to uh, catching your racing this summer at Colonial Downs. You and uh, Beam. That's really the dream team, by the way. You is the analyst. Beam calling the races. Does not get better in racing. I'm really excited for it. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, I, the, the social media, just for that part of it, to see you two get team up for this will be uh, worth maybe making the trip down to the Richmond area and check in some racing uh, this summer. Jess, great stuff. Travel safe to Texas. Grab a great job. Or do a great job. You're going to. We all know you're going to. With the races, Sam Houston, and we'll talk later this summer. Thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. Well, there you have it. Belmont Day 153 uh, podcast breakdown here on the Winners Club and you have multiple different picks here. You've got Matt Bernier with Known Agenda. You've got Jess Paquette with uh, uh, Essential Quality. You've got Dick Girardi, our good buddy, uh, going with Hot Rod Charlie. So three different handicappers, three different opinions. That sort of speaks to me the the depth of this field. Not in terms of numbers, but in terms of quality. It is an excellent field. And to me, there is no doubt that Essential Quality is the horse to beat on paper. Uh, I'm going to give Hot Rod Charlie one more shot. And I think he's going to sit the trip inside. I think he's going to have more early speed than essential quality. And I think he's going to get first run. And I'm going to hope that he is able to hold off uh, essential quality late. He's going to come running. No, an agenda is going to come running. But the trip and the, the, the ability and the versatility of Hot Rod Charlie's what stands out to me. He can be forwardly placed if the pace is slow. He can set off as the pace is fast. He's not going to be a deep closer the way he was in the Breeders' Cup juvenile year, juvenile year ago. I don't think he will be. But the versatility, the speed, the fact that Flavian Pratt could have ridden the Preakness winner but stays on. Hot Rod Charlie will finish third in the Derby. That, to me, says something. Uh, apparently, is cr- jumping out of his skin in these last couple days at Belmont Park. And it'll be a better price. More importantly, a better price than essential quality. So, I'm going to go with Hot Rod Charlie, the four on top. He's essential quality, the number two horse, second. And for third, I'm going to go with Known Agenda, uh, the number six horse, who's going to come running. And thought for a long time about picking him, but just wasn't sure uh, what kind of pace setup we would get. Uh, but it'll be Hot Rod Charlie, Essential Quality, and Known Agenda for me, one, two, three, in the Belmont Stakes. And with any sort of good luck, we can do what we did a couple of years ago on this podcast. We gave you Sir Winston, who was a 20-something dollar winner. Uh, we had the late pick three. It was 187 bucks on top here on the podcast. And so after our b- abysmal 
uh, Preakness performance. Hopefully bounce back here in the Belmont. I'll have some more thoughts on social media, some other picks, and we'll finalize a, a race chart. We haven't done that yet, but I'll put the picks up on social, both on Twitter and on Instagram. You can check that out. If you're down in the Mohegan Sun area, uh, we'll be there for the uh, free Mohegan Sun Belmont party. It's one of the best parties on the East Coast. Feels like coming out of COVID should be a good time. It's a free event, by the way, in the ballroom. I think it starts around noon on Saturday down there at Mohegan Sun. I want to thank you so much for listening to this uh, Winner's Club Horse Racing Edition. I think the next time you hear this podcast will be for not Breeders' Cup, but football season. Unless Shyman Anderson jump on here and do some sort of, I don't know, off-season podcast. They could, I guess. I'm not even sure if they're still doing this podcast. I have no idea, but we're still doing it. We're back for uh, Breeders' Cup. I want to thank our producer, Ben Charleston. I want to thank our guests here, Matt Bernier, Jess Paquette, and uh, Dick Girardi. And again, we thank you. Look, we do this three or four times a year. It's a handicapping podcast. I do this stuff on a weekend. It's a passion of mine. And I'm so thankful when people say, heard you say this, or you gave a, a bad pick there, or a good pick here. I'm just glad you guys listen. I have a lot of choices out there for handicapping horse racing podcasts. And for three or four times a year, lucky to do this with a great cast of characters here uh, on the Winners Club. It is an amazing Amazing weekend. It's a Breeders' Cup in June. Uh, Bet with your head, not over it. Have your opinions and bet on your opinions, not somebody else's. And let's get lucky once, twice, maybe three times. Belmont Weekend 2021.